I'm not sure, I'm not even remotely sure what to say after that. <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, the friends I make in Michigan are slightly less sarcastic than you all. <laughs> I've determined I desperately need new friends. <laughs> well, uh, it is <laughs> officially my last uh, evening, my last day as a staff member at uh, Revolution Church. And uh, when Matt asked me what I'd like to, if I'd like to have an opportunity to do a, a sort of farewell sermon, I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I really didn't have the slightest idea what I was going to, what I was going to say. I knew uh, I, was going to, I was not going to just sort of pick up the next passage in Mark. I wanted to think carefully and strategically about what, what my last words to you all would be. And the truth is, is that it's, uh, it was very hard to think about what I was going to say, what I was going to preach on. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's, I mean, what do you say to a group of people who have become some of the most important in your life? How do you, how do you kind of wrap things up in a place like, like revolution? Um, and I'm thankful that, that you know, it, it isn't goodbye. You know, we, we've got uh, great connections with, uh, with Facebook and, and the Internet and email and all those sorts of things, and, and, and we have family that still lives here, and so we'll have plenty of reason to, to come back and visit and see you all, and, and that will happen. Um, but, but the dynamics of, of me serving you know, presently as your associate pastor ends, ends tonight. And so I thought, what do I, what do I say to you all? How do, I, how do I leave things? And I began to think about that and pray about that, and uh, I began to think about you all. I began to think about um, the people that I've prayed with, the people that I've counseled, the people that I've laughed with and shared memories with, I began to think about the guys that I've had the privilege to disciple. And I began to think about the couples that my wife and I have just loved and had in our home and spent time with. And, and, and there was a theme that began to emerge for me as I thought about all these conversations that I've had, all these memories that I've had. And that was, um, there, there was this sort of reminder to me that over and over and over again I've had the same kinds of conversations. That is, that over the last year and a half, you all have, have spent time with me, and, and I felt like we've had the same thing said again and again, which is that the Christian life is hard. Right? It's, it's difficult to be obedient and faithful to Jesus. And, I, and I've remembered sitting and having conversations with some of you, and you've said things like, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that I don't feel like I'm growing as fast as I want to be. I'm frustrated I don't feel like... Like, uh, I, I've, I've dealt with this sin, or I can, that I can get over this sin, or I'm frustrated because I don't feel like God is near, and I don't, I don't feel like He cares about what's going on in my life, or I'm frustrated because the Christian life turned out to be just a whole lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And I suspect that if I haven't had that conversation with you, um, that it's still something that you've thought, something that you've said. Because it's, it's true. It's true for all of us. Whether you're a, a long-time Christian or a brand-new believer. Whether you're a, a Greek scholar or you don't really do well with English. It doesn't make any difference if you're a preacher or not a preacher. The Christian life is hard. It's difficult to be faithful to Jesus. And often, being obedient and being faithful can feel like a real chore. It can feel like a real challenge. It can feel like, like something we just don't want to do day in, day out, day after day. And so as I thought about that, and as I thought about what do I leave you with, I thought the challenge I want to leave you with is this. 
Pursue God. Persevere. Be faithful. The way I want to say it this evening is this. Fight for your faith. Because your faith is worth fighting for. See, following Jesus isn't easy, and it's not supposed to be. Jesus never said it would be. Right? Jesus tells us in John 15, 20, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's the, that's the message of Jesus. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him die to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's, a, that's not a call to simple, easy Christianity. That is not a call to your best life now. That is a call to serious, hard, disciplined work in following King Jesus. Following Jesus isn't easy. But Jesus does tell us it's worth it. Following Him isn't easy, but it's worth it. So in Mark 8.35, we've just been working through Mark as a, as a church... In Mark 8.35, he writes, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. See, if you lose everything for Jesus, Jesus says it's worth it. In chapter 10, verses 29 and 30 of Mark, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mother and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says if you give up everything it will be worth it. Following Jesus is not easy but it is worth it. And so that's what I want to leave you with tonight is the challenge to pursue Jesus to fight for your faith because your faith is worth fighting for. And this is really a common theme in the New Testament. It's something that, that the Apostle Paul spoke of. He, he writes to, to the young Timothy. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee things, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He says, Fight the good fight of the faith. He writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners compete, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Paul says the Christian life is like a race. He says, I discipline my body. I beat it into submission. He talks about the hard work of following Jesus. So tonight, I want to look at Philippians chapter 3. If you're using the blue Bible, that's going to be on page 709. And uh, if you're visiting with us, and you don't have a Bible, or the Bible you have is really difficult and impossible to understand, uh, please take this one with you. It, it is our gift to you. Page 709 in the Blue Bible, Philippians chapter 3. And what we're going to see here is Paul's, um, he's teaching the church, again, this idea to pursue Jesus, to follow hard after Jesus. And he, he sets up a negative command and a positive command. He sets up this negative command that says, fight against legalism, and he sets up a positive command that says fight for the goal. So we'll look at all of chapter 3, we'll read it here together quickly, and then, and then break it down. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. 
though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am, pure-blooded, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies, like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. All right, a lot of, a lot of text there, I know. We're going to work our way rather quickly through it. I want to address first the negative command. See, Paul understands something about the Philippians that's true about all of us. And that is that even though we know Christ, we have this tendency to, to revert back to a sort of rule-based kind of religion, sort of legalism. We are, at heart, all legalists. That's, that's inherent in who we are. It doesn't help that our culture, an American culture, sort of facilitates this and just, just praises that and elevates that. This idea that, that even Christianity is really about what you can do to make God like you. And so our culture sort of facilitates this can-do kind of religion. Right? You, we know this is true about our culture. Guys, you can, you can relate to this. Um, uh, a few years ago... Uh, it was my son's birthday, and he got this racetrack tower thing. And it, of course, naturally needed to be assembled. And so I, I got out everything, all the pieces. I got out that little book that has the instructions and, and laid that somewhere else and began to assemble my son's race car tower. And naturally, I, I thought, well, these pieces go together, and, and they didn't quite go together, but if I pushed hard enough, they went together. And, uh, and, and my brother was helping me, and... and 
And we got the thing started to assemble and we realized that I had put a bunch of pieces together wrongly. And because I had, had, because I had to kind of shove them together, getting them apart was not easy. Um, seemed near impossible. And uh, I know, I know this, this all shocks you because I am so handy. And you all know that. I, I can swing a screwdriver with the best of them. Um, so, uh, you know, we, but we do this, right? That's a thing that guys do, right? We've got that little booklet, but only idiots use the instructions, right? I mean, people who don't know what they're doing use the instructions. But the rest of us, we got it figured out. We can handle this, right? And that's just an example. We, we do this, right? We've got this kind of can-do mentality that says, if there's, if there's something to be done, I can figure it out. Well, the reality is that you can't apply that same concept to the gospel. It does not work. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not you can do it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is only Jesus can do it because the rest of us are helpless. But we have this tendency to kind of revert back to that. Though we might mentally say, I I have faith, only Jesus is, is my salvation. But there's this idea that says... But really, if I could just do a little more, if I could be a little more, if I could, if I could do this, accomplish this, God would, God would like me a little bit better. But you see, legalism opposes the gospel. It opposes. At the very heart, the two things are incompatible. So Paul says in the very start of chapter 3, look out for the legalists. Look out for them. Beware them. It seems to me that that is a fitting warning to leave for you all. Our, our community is, is rampant with legalism. Uh, uh, last year, we had a guy uh, who was visiting our church on a Sunday evening. And uh, uh, one of our, our uh, sound guys came and got me during the worship set and said, there's a guy over here who, who wants to talk to one of the pastors. And I began a conversation with this guy, and he informed me that we were not a church, we were not Christians because we played rock and roll. I begged, I begged the Lord not to let him meet Pastor Matt. Um, (laughs) Because it would have gone downhill from there. (laughs) And and the more I talked with him, the the reality is the more I talked with him, the more I realized it it wasn't really his fault. You see, he he was just repeating what he had been taught. See, there are people that teach... That God loves you based on what you do. Boy, if that is true, we are all in a world of trouble. So I took that as an opportunity to to share the gospel with this guy because legalism is not the same thing as the gospel. Obeying a set of rules does not make you a follower of Jesus. So Paul says, look out, be on your guard, beware of legalism, know the difference, know what is grounded in the truth of what Jesus has done for you and what isn't. Now there's a distinction that needs to be made here. There's a difference between accountability and legalism, right? There's a difference between someone coming to me and saying, hey David, this is, this is sin, you know, you got to cut this out or or, I want to help you grow or what's going on. There's a difference between that and someone who comes and says, because you do these things, God does not love you. You are not a Christian. There's a difference there. 
Uh, and I, w- I want you to know that because accountability is important. We do need to confront and challenge each other. The, the, the gospel includes this idea of accountability, this idea that we're to challenge and help each other grow. But that's not the same thing as someone in coming and saying, if you don't do this, 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 and this, or if you do this, this, and this, God hates you, God loves you. The gospel is utterly different than legalism. Be on your guard. Don't let legalism creep into this place. Paul stresses why it's so important to fight against legalism. He he essentially says in the text there that it amounts to nothing. My dad used to live in Buffalo, and he would always say it's, it's, uh, it's better just to talk about the number of days it doesn't snow in Buffalo than to talk about how much snow you get. But he used to tell this story about he had this big snowstorm, and, and when you constantly get dumped on up there, um, you know, the life doesn't shut down. If it snows, you've still got to go to work and school because it snows all the time. So he was out snow blowing his driveway. He got to the end of the driveway, turned around, and the snow was coming down so hard and so fast that when he got back uh, to the front of the driveway, the, the snow had just covered the, the ground again. It was a, an effort in futility. No matter how much he, he blew the snow away, it all came right back. And here's the reality. Legalism is like trying to blow snow in the middle of a snowstorm. It, it makes no difference. You, you can't accomplish anything by it. You can never obey the rules enough to make God love you. There's nothing you could do. You can never work the hardest to make God like you. It's just not possible. You see, legalism does one of two things. And Pastor Matt has done an excellent job of teaching this here at Revolution. We we, we are constantly reminded of this. Legalism does one of two things. If you keep all the rules, it makes you an arrogant jerk, right? Look how awesome I am. I kept all the rules, and everybody who's not like me, they're they're not very good Christians. Or it it makes you depressed and self-condemning because you can't keep all the rules. And God must hate me. And I must be an awful Christian. See, legalism, legalism can't do anything for your heart. Only God's Spirit can change your heart. Paul says it's worthless. He talks here in verse 2 about circumcision. He calls it mutilation of the flesh. Now, circumcision had at one time been a sign to identify God's people. You, you may remember the story of Abraham. Abraham is old. Um, the Apostle Paul says he is older than dirt. He's got one foot in the grave. And Abraham has no children. And he begs God for children. And God says, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all your descendants, they'll be greater than the, the grains of sand on the beach, greater than the stars in heaven. All your descendants will be my people. And Abraham goes, cool, except I'm really, really old, God. I mean, like, really old. And my wife, I mean, she's a good-looking woman, but she's really old too, right? Uh, How are we going to make this happen? And there's a reason that God creates circumcision as the sign. It is to say, Abraham, you won't do it. I'll do it. Abraham, you aren't able to make babies. I'm going to do it. So, so there was this aspect of circumcision that was really important for Israel's people. It was a reminder that they existed only because of God's grace. 
And they were part of God's people because of his love for them. But you see, now, in the church, God is not the God of the Jews only. And you don't become a part of God's family by becoming a Jew. You become part of God's family by believing in Jesus. And so now circumcision, Paul says, amounts to nothing. It's essentially a way of saying it's Jesus plus something else that makes me part of God's family. And Paul says that is wrong. It is not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus nice suits. It's not Jesus plus good deeds. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus alone that makes you part of his family. You are a Christian if you believe in Jesus. And so Paul calls it mutilation of the flesh here. He says it's, it's useless. It does nothing. Circumcision does nothing but make some body parts sore. That's it. It's useless. It has no real value now. The only thing that matters is Jesus. Legalism opposes the gospel. Paul says he, he had reason to boast, but he counts everything as lost now. In fact, the language there where it says, I think, garbage in the, in the New Living Translation, or it says um, rubbish or dung or something like that in, the, in different translations, the actual word there is much more blunt than that. Paul is very straightforward. In fact, there's a, a conservative Baptist Greek scholar who says the, the word, the Greek word there, is used so rarely in the literature and it's used in such highly emotional context that it's more equivalent to a, a modern-day swear word than anything else. And that, that bothers some of us, but the reality is, is that Paul is trying to make a very strong contrast. That's how different legal is, legalism is from knowing Christ in verse 8. There's a difference. There are lots of people who keep religious rules who will go to hell because they don't know Jesus. There's a difference. Legalism opposes the gospel. Legalism amounts to nothing. You must fight against legalism. And here's what I know. Some of you, you struggle with this. I mean, you don't want to, but some of you, you do think, if I just, if I just do this, God will, God will like me a little more. If I, just, if I just obey here, if I'm just faithful here, God will love me a little bit more. And, and, and I'm thinking back about specific conversations I've had with people I love for whom this is a real struggle for you. It is hard for you to accept that grace is real. That you don't have to earn God's love. And you begin to base your salvation on all the things that you do. I'm a Christian because I do free market. I'm a Christian because I, I work at the Father's table. I'm a Christian because I sing really passionately at church. Those things do not make you a Christian. You are only a Christian if you believe Jesus is your only hope. Oh, obedience is absolutely important. Obedience is crucial to healthy living. But don't confuse obedience with legalism. Fight for your faith. Fight against legalism. Secondly, Paul says, fight for the goal. So what's the goal? In this passage, what is it that he's trying to, to get us to think about? It's really the completion of our sanctification. It's the, the end of all our struggle against sin. It's the end of all our trying to obey Jesus. It's, it's perfection. That's what Paul says we're looking for. That's what we're shooting for. He calls it in verse 11, a desire for the resurrection from the dead. 
A desire to, to have new life. He says in verse 14, it's the prize of the upward call of Christ. That's to be in the very presence of Jesus, complete and final. In verse 12, he says it's a striving for perfection. He uses the word. And that ought to be our goal, to become more and more and more like Jesus every single day. Now, I, I think about the conversations I've had. I think, about, I think about my free seminary class. And I know I've said over and over and over again, I feel like I'm beating the same drum constantly these days. The Christian life is hard. And you can't be perfect in this life. You won't be perfect in this life. But don't for a second think that that justifies sin. See, Paul Paul knows he can't be perfect. But he is striving for it. So should we. Some of us, we've gotten lazy. We've gotten apathetic. Well, I, I can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we've stopped even concerning ourselves with the matter of obedience. Paul knows he can't be perfect, and he's striving for it. He wants it. He desires it. He has to have it. He talks here, he gives this image of a runner who's, who's running this race, and, and he is striving to get to the finish line with all of his might. And some of us stopped striving a long time ago. Paul says he hasn't yet obtained it, but he presses on. That, that idea of pressing on, that's driving, that's being driven. It's this, it's this earnest, just forceful, willing, forward kind of idea. Plodding along. The gospel compels him to press on. Verse 12, he, he talks about this idea of, of, of pressing on because Christ has claimed him as his own. Why, why work this hard? I mean, in some sense, the Christian life um, is one of the, the few exercises in futility that actually makes sense. That is to say, the Christian life says work, 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 push, push, push. Try to grow. Try to, to understand God better. Try to, to put to death sin. But knowing that it's all actually up to God and you can't make it happen. It feels like a really long race and a really difficult race because it is. Why do it? Why go through all that stress and strain? Ultimately, because Christ has made you His own. You see, it's the gospel that compels Paul to press on. See, some of you have stopped working hard because you've stopped realizing how amazing the gospel is. You stopped trying to grow because you just stopped thinking about the fact that God's grace has transformed you and made you new and you didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it is worth it. Think about how Paul communicates it to the Romans. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that is to be revealed. He says, what we struggle with now is nothing when I stop and think about what is coming. I I know this will shock you. I ran cross country in high school. That's not true. I ran a meet, and then I puked, and I crossed the finish line, and I quit the team. Um, (laughs) I ran a cross country meet in high school. 
Um, and I know nothing about running. Uh, who, that's the most ridiculous thing to make into a sport. And that's ridiculous. Run. I only run if I'm being chased. Um, but here's what I remember. I remember running, and I remember thinking, how far have I run? How, how, how far have I, which was never very far, but how far have I gone because I'm tired and I'm done? And here's the thing. If, if all you think about is how far have I come? What have I done? How far into this stupid race am I? Instead of thinking about what lies ahead, it makes a really long race. See, Paul, Paul doesn't want you to get caught up in, in these these dimensions. He's going to go on here in just a minute to talk about letting go of what's behind. Persevering, pushing on, pressing forward. It is a struggle. It is a fight. But we do it because it's worth it. Because one day we will cross the finish line and it won't be a struggle anymore. So Paul gives five specific things that he does here to fight for his faith. I'll, I'll work through these quickly here. He says that we ought to forget what lies behind. This is particularly true if you're a Christian and you think about your sin. I can think back over my life and I can think about everything that I've done wrong. And it can weigh on me. And it can, it can make it really hard to get out of bed. It can make it really hard to be faithful and obedient to Jesus. Some of you know what that's like. You, you, you know, you, you look back over your life and you go, my life has been a litany of not just mistakes, but sins, wrongs that I've committed against others and wrongs that I've committed against God. And if you think on those things too long, you will devastate yourself. The gospel says you are not who you were. That's true, too, of successes. It's really great to look back and think about all the things that God has done in my life or the ways God has used me or the, the things that I've overcome. It's great to do that, but if I think too long, I'll stop living right now and I'll stop fighting right now. We see this with churches. Churches who are still living in the memory of what they did 50 years ago. They had that revival, and they're just trying to recapture that revival from the 1960s. They, they planted that church in the 40s, but they haven't done a single thing since then. And it can happen to you and me, too. We can think about those mountaintop moments. If I could just, if I could just capture that one moment again, and in the process, we stop fighting for our faith. We stop living right now because we're caught in the past. Paul says you've got to let those things go, not because they're unimportant, but because they can distract us from what's going on right now. Second, Paul says, strain forward. It's that image of a runner crossing the finish line. They've got their head plowed down or their chest puffed out, and they're, they're just trying to inch out the other runner. Just be the first person there. Paul says, strain, push with all your might. See, you can't coast through Christianity. You can't become a Christian and then just kind of prop your feet up and sit back. It doesn't work like that. Christianity is hard. Paul says, strain, fight, press. If it feels hard, that's because it is. It's supposed to feel hard. And nothing worth doing is easy. This will shock you. It shocks me too. I started going to the gym to do this thing they call working out. I have no clue what I'm doing in the gym, by the way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I read books. Um, 
I analyze the Peloponnesian War. I don't, I don't do this, right? And, and when guys with no necks ask me to spot them, I just go, there you are. Um, I have no clue what that means. I don't like working out. People keep telling me that it will become this addiction, like I want to do it all the time. I don't think that's true. Not for me. Not for me. People keep telling me you've got to feel the burn. The burn hurts. It's not fun. That's not something that you should want to feel. So why do that? Why keep working out? Not because it's fun. Not because it's easy. For me, it was, it was because I had my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather all died young, and I didn't want to do that. I thought, I want to do everything I can to be healthy. So I'm, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go. I'm going to pretend like I have some clue as to what I'm doing when I go in that place, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going. Not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. And we do this with a host of things. We do this with fixing our houses or going on diets or working at the gym or getting better at basketball or whatever it is. We do this all the time. Why on earth do we think that following Jesus should just be a walk in the park? Anything worth doing is, is hard. Why do we think following Jesus is just going to be a breeze? No trouble. Paul says, strain forward. He says, third, press towards the goal. We're not just, we're not just working really hard for, for no apparent reason. There is a reason. It's, it's to, to reach that, that goal of perfection one day. It's to, to grow in more and more likeness to Jesus. It's to know Him better. There's a goal. I work hard. I keep my eyes on the prize. We fight because our faith is worth fighting for. Fourth, he says, think like a Christian. He says, let the mature think this way. Let those of you who are mature think this way. See, the battle begins up here. If I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to press on, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to think about the gospel. I've got to think about what Jesus has done for me. I've got to think about the fact that Jesus is worth it. It's hard to follow Jesus, but when I think about him, it's worth it. See, the reason some of us don't fight is because we, we just don't think about Jesus. Not really. I mean, I think about him Sunday night when I come here and we sing some great songs, but Monday through Saturday, I'm just, I'm just thinking about me. I'm thinking about my world. I'm thinking about what's going on with me. And then when it's difficult to be faithful, when my faith is hard, uh, well, I don't know. Lastly, he says, find good examples. In verse 17, he says, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Folks, find good examples. I, I had a great, uh, a great mentor, um, Frank Tallarico, who's from this community and has since moved away. He was a great model for me. I was able to watch him. I was able just, not just to learn from him about how to be a, a, a good pastor, but I was able to watch him and learn from him how to be a good Christian, how to, how to handle difficulty, how to love my wife, how to love my kids, how to, how to handle people who just drive me crazy. I learned from him. Find good examples. Pursue people who will speak the word of God into your life, who will challenge you, who will confront sin, who will, who will encourage you and pray for you, and who will model what it looks like to follow Jesus. Pastor Matt and I are very different people, right? 
Uh, I like music, and he likes 80s hair metal, right? Uh, we, we, we're very different people. I have fashion sense, and, and Matt, with his uh, collection of band concert t-shirts, dresses like a 14-year-old boy, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, of course, I, I use words like fashion sense, and Matt would say that's just called being a girl or something. Um, we're different people, but here's what I know about Matt. He loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Matt and Ryan and Justin are great examples for you in that regard, that they love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are great men and women in this congregation that, that will model well for you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Eric Kimsey is a great model. If you're a new Christian, get in his pocket and follow him around. Right? Corey and Katie Reed are great disciple makers. You need to know them. You need to know people in this congregation who will help you grow. You cannot follow Jesus on your own. And some of you have been doing that for a long time. And it's hard. And it's hard for a reason. Because you can't do it on your own. Paul says, persevere in the faith. Fight for your faith. And he says, it's a serious thing. In the end of the chapter there, he says, there are consequences for not fighting for your faith. And verse 18, he says, there are people who stopped fighting and in the process they became enemies of the cross. He said, if you don't fight for your faith, eventually you'll end up fighting against it. You won't mean to. You just will. If you don't fight for your faith, you'll end up fighting against it. And, and however you want to fit that into your theological system, you can say the, the person who abandons their faith was never a Christian to begin with. You can say the person who abandons the faith has just lost their faith. However you want to fit it into your theological system, go for it. But you have to think about it. You have to wrestle with it. You have to understand that Paul says it's a serious thing not to fight for your faith. And we've, we've seen this at Revolution. I love my friend Stephen. And it breaks my heart that he does not want to follow Jesus anymore. But don't think for a moment that you and I are any different. Don't think for a moment that we couldn't tomorrow throw it all in and give up. It is a fight. You have to fight for your faith because it is worth fighting for. I love this church. I love revolution. It's really difficult to think about not being here. I think about you guys. I think about the ways you've invested in me. You know, when I came to Portsmouth uh, five years ago, I was uh, naive and arrogant. And I graduated seminary and thought, isn't some church going to be blessed to have me? Aren't I, I'm just going to be tremendous for them. <laughs> And I went into my first context and had no clue what I was doing. And, uh, and God knocked my feet out from under me real quick and, uh, and showed me that I was an idiot and I needed 
him. And I needed faithful brothers and sisters who would help me grow. And this community has done a lot of that for me. This community, the people in, in Scioto County, the people at Christ Community Church, the, the people associated with the Southern Ohio's Pastors Coalition, th- those folks have invested in me and helped me and shaped me. But revolution plays a particularly dear part in that process. I love this church. I love you guys. And I want so desperately to see you grow. I want so desperately, more than I want to be here, more than that, I want you to grow in your faith in Jesus. I want you to know Him well. I want you to love Him. I want you to pursue Him. I want you to be passionate and faithful and consistent. And I want you to fight for your faith because it's worth fighting for. Let's pray. Jesus, tonight is about you and about your love for us. Tonight is about how you are faithful and you are good. Tonight is about how you have loved us with a never-stopping, never-giving-up kind of love. And I pray, Jesus, that you would make us faithful. You would make us fighters. You would make us the kind of people who fight not to win your love, but fight to to follow you hard. I pray tonight that you would help us in that regard, and I pray this in Jesus' name, and amen.